Hello, everyone. This is Noble back again for another episode of Noble Relating, the podcast of the new paradigm. And I got a very, very special guest uh, with me today, uh, somebody that um, I know through the grapevine <laughs> that they uh, kind of brought together. And I'm really excited to have her on here. Ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome to my, my, my next guest, uh, Kim. Say hi to the people, Kim. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, Noble. Thank you. I really want to thank you for doing this. Yeah, I know you're busy and probably have a lot going on, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, same, same. No, yeah, I've been looking forward to connecting. Yeah, so let's let's just start with the basics. Um, where are you from? Like, what are you about? Like, what, give me some of your um your origin story. Okay, yeah. So I'm originally from Indiana, so small <laughs> town, a midwestern town. I I was born in California, but only lived there till like second grade. So I pretty much grew mm-hmm. up in Indiana, mm-hmm. um, small town in the southern uh, part of the the state, right on the border to Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I was one of five children. I am the middle child of Ooh. my family. Uh-oh. So uh, <laughs> right, I know I I don't have the typical middle child syndrome, um, but uh, okay. for those of the baby girl of the family so I kind of got that more than the the middle Mm -hmm. child stuff but um but yeah one of five kids um I grew up very uh Christian kind of the perfect little Christian girl grew up Mm -hmm. um going to church every week you know leader Mm -hmm. in the youth group teaching children's church like church was basically my life growing up so in a nutshell what my childhood was like it was church um what's the nomination uh, just a, it was just a first Christian church, so just evangelical Christian, okay. basically. Okay. Um, yeah, so you know the Jesus is the way, and the only way, sort of thing. Um, and honestly, like I think that background and where I came from with all that really um, ties into a bit of my journey and and kind of where I'm at now with my relationships and my sexuality and all that. Um, so, yeah, grew up, grew up kind of the idolized, perfect daughter, you know, straight A's, doing Ooh. all the things, you know, in band, show choir, you know, leading events, all the stuff. Um, went to college and had a little bit of a, an awakening, went to a large liberal university in a bigger city and okay. really expanded my view of things. And what, yeah, what college? Um, what college? Uh-huh. Yeah, I went to Indiana University in Bloomington. Oh, cool. Got yeah. it. Okay. So it was yeah. like it was more diverse there. Like more diverse. Yes, people. yes, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So so that was kind of the start of like the evolution of that perfect little Christian girl of like going from that really closed um mm. minded uh kind of fits in a everything's in my little bubble, um, to that bubble being kind of burst and like super expanded. Um mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I, I had a process of kind of leaving the church and um, mm-hmm. growing a bit in my spirituality and trying to kind of def- redefine my relationship to the divine um, when I kind of strayed a bit from the, the traditional beliefs of the Christian church. Um, yeah, I, I got married when I was in uh, college, but then got divorced like two years later because it was definitely oh. that... Um, I married the preacher's kid. It was like, this is what we're supposed to do. We're not allowed to live together and have sex and all that. So let's just get married so we can do all those things. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we, we did that. And, and that only lasted for a couple of years. And then we both realized, you know, we were just kids and, and just really um, there was a lot still left for us both, <clears throat> excuse me, to explore. Mm-hmm. And to live. And so, yeah, by the time I was 22, I was graduating college, already divorced, um, moving back home, trying to figure out, you know, what to do with my life, whole paradigm shift um, from from right. the beliefs I had when I grew up to where I am now. Um, right, right. What was that transition life for you? Because I went through something similar. Um, mm-hmm. I was raised, you know, Southern Baptist um, in West Virginia. Uh-huh. And um I, it, I didn't have my like awakening really till I was around 30, but I was searching for it. And it was very painful for me. Like I almost died several times. Uh-huh. Um, I went through a lot of things with my family. Um, mm-hmm. What was that transition like for you? So I feel like you kind of like smoothed over. Was it easy or? No, it was actually really, really hard. And probably up, up till perhaps what I'm going through now was probably the hardest um 
time in my life just with disconnection from family and feeling like mm -hmm. I'm wanting to be me and pursue what I feel my authentic self wants to pursue. But I like in doing so, I'm letting down a bunch of people. And so mm -hmm. when I came out to my family, so to speak, about you know, my kind of shifts and beliefs and that, um, you know, I, I shifted over to more of a, you know, universalist sort of worldview. Um, and uh, yeah, it didn't go over well. And and even when I divorced my first husband, um, it didn't go over well. My friends and family didn't really understand. Like he and I didn't have anything happen in our relationship. We literally just kind of like grew out of it. Um, there was like no bad blood, like no cheating. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. I should. I'll nix that last name. No, no physical cheating, but that, that led to some, just kind of some emotional things, feeling like I have feelings for other people kind of battling that. Um, but you yeah. Think um, you think emotional cheating is a real thing? Like I have a hard time with that with some people. So you, do you consider right. like the emotional aspect of just like caring about other people or confiding in other people at that, at that time that yeah. you consider that bad? I think, I think it depends on the type of confiding. If it is confiding in the sense of like, I have feelings for you. I don't know what to do with this because I'm with someone else, you know, then yes, I think it is, you know, I don't, I've, I'm not really sure what I consider cheating these days, to be honest, compared to like, <laughs> I knew that it was years ago, you know, my first marriage, but, but yeah, mm -hmm. I do think, I think it's just, um, you know, if you ever feel like you're having to hide something from one of your partners, right. I well, it is, you know, doing a dishonor to your relationship, let's put it that way, rather than like cheating or anything like that. So, um, so yeah, in that sense, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I feel that that happened of just okay. that emotional connection behind the other person's back. Right, um, right. But yeah, when he and I got divorced, but we could still be friends and be amicable, no one really understood that. And it was, the, of course, the Christian view of divorce is just like, don't get it, you know, <laughs> like it's wrong, right. black might don't do it um so they really couldn't understand how like we could just be okay with this and so really divorce was kind of like the catalyst in my growth and my spiritual evolution um because it just made me kind of question everything you know um and uh so yeah growing away from the church and having to talk to my parents about that and siblings and stuff it was it was not it was not taken well um some felt that you know of course i'm just a sinner in need of saving and I'm just, you know, mm. off the path and need to come back to Jesus. And there's that aspect of it all. And then um, many were just genuinely hurt and even felt like I wasn't being authentic with them and was kind of like going through the motions. Well, when I didn't really believe what I was saying, I believe that sort of thing. Mm. Um, mm. But I'm a people pleaser. So it's hard to, um, <laughs> I, I feel like I have to make everyone happy and have everyone's approval. So I have to manage that with um, being true to myself too. Right, right. That's a lot to go through at 22. I know for oh. me, I, mean, I would have been, oh, I don't know how I would have handled that at that age. Yeah, yeah, it was tough. It was a big, a big change, right? Everything from just the relationship to the religion to the family mm -hmm. stuff, everything. So I kind of, I got divorced and moved back to back home and moved in with my best friend and, and just mm -hmm. kind of started a whole different life and like a whole new Kim kind of emerged um, after all that. So what was that process like? What were you reading or what were you studying? Did you have, um, what was the philosophies that you kind of gravitated to? Oh gosh, good question. Um, you know, I don't really recall any specific things I was reading at that time. There was, it was more just trying to reconcile like, the beliefs I had growing up and everything I was told was true, everything, you know, in the church of, of how things work. And then just realize like going to college and taking religion classes and like taking a class about the history of the new Testament, seeing how these books were actually put together and kind of the politics behind it all. And how like there were whole books of the Bible that were just left out and all that. So it's like having those realizations and realizing, wow, like so much of what I was brought up under, you know, may not even be true. Um, and having to completely shift that while still like reconciling that with like, but I still feel this source of divinity within me. I still feel this connection to God or source or life or whatever you want to call it. You know, I, I, I'm not giving that up and I'm not, you know, betraying that or anything. So how do I like mesh the two? You know, how do I, um, still give a voice to that, that divine spark I feel within me, but it not be in that traditional framework. Um, 
So I started reading more like new agey sort of things, I guess you would say, like some Louise Hay and like Marianne Williamson, Neil Donald Walsh, Eckhart Tolle, you know, a lot of the kind of new age thinkers. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, but not much about like relationships and like how to manage that side of things. And even, even realizing back then, you know, that I felt I had my husband who I loved and you know, nothing was really wrong with him, but then feeling like, wait, but I can have feelings for this other person at the same time. And it's just so funny, like looking back, you know, 15, almost 20 years ago now when I was with him and having those sorts of thoughts. And then like here now where I am in my life and in my relationship and just kind of seeing that evolution, like even back then, I never would have even said I was poly or open or anything like that. Um, Right had the ability to have feelings for two people at the same time. Um, So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So so you were dealing with that while you were married the first time that where you had feelings for someone else or you you felt like you could could have feelings for someone else. Yeah, yeah. I developed a little crush um, Mm. and had a guy I developed a bit of an emotional relationship with. Yeah. And um, yeah, so so kind of. And, and back then I looked at it more as just like, oh, like this means I just need to, you know, I, I was just young when I got married. I hadn't really lived yet. Like this just means I need to like get out there and experience, you know, all that life has. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, didn't even think that it could be possible that I could, you know, love two people at once. Um, but uh, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, that's just really funny. I feel like a lot of people, tend mm-hmm. to feel like once you find that person that you know you're in love with, you know you're going to marry and be with, and the fact that you can have feelings with someone else is, is it, mm-hmm. it runs counter to what we're told, right? Right, right, exactly, right. yeah. And even even more recently, even, you know, in my, my current marriage and stuff, yeah, I think that was, that was like that big aha moment for me. It was just like, wow, like I can have, I, like, I can be feeling things for this new man in my life that is not taking away anything from the love I have for my husband. And if anything, right. it's like amplifying it even more, which was like the surprising part of it all. Right, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so this was 22 when you got divorced the first time from your first husband, correct? Right? Yeah. 2022 20, or 23. I'm trying to remember. So did you, what were your feelings around marriage at that time? Were you jaded about married or cause obviously you got married again. Right. No, I, I was kind of done with it for a while. I was a little jaded for a bit. Um, I was like, nope, not doing that again. I'm good. <laughs> like I was living the the independent woman life. I was teaching at a college, feeling super like professional. And, you know, I was having my fun. I was like some mm-hmm. my party days, so to speak. You know, most kids party right. in like high school and college. Well, I was like the, you know, closed minded, perfect little girl who did nothing in high school and college. So my party mm-hmm. years came like, you know, 22 to 25. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, Same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, being able to um, just kind of explore things and figure out like who I really am and what it is I wanted out of life. And, um, yeah, I wasn't, um, wasn't really looking, so to speak. Like I, I was finally like feeling good being this strong, independent woman. I was like, I don't even know if I want to get married again ever. Um, I like even just the construct of marriage and like the history behind Mm -hmm. all that. And just like the legality of it all. Like it's all just kind of a farce. Like um, when you really get down to the husbandry and the whiffery stuff and everything. Um, (laughs) But uh, so, yeah. um, But then I met Dustin and he just, he turned my world around. Um, Mm -hmm we met and it was just, I knew within like two weeks, I was like, all right, well, whether we actually get married and go through the whole construct or not, you know, this man's going to be mine for a really long time. So, um, but I was really surprised actually at how quickly I did end up getting married again. Cause I think it was only like three, three years or so. Um, yeah, I think I was split up for just like a year and a half or so before Dustin and I started dating and then we dated mm-hmm. about a year and a half before we got married. So, um, yeah, okay. so tell me, how did you guys meet? Like, where did, how did you guys? Yeah. You know, you um, I was his teacher. 
Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I know it sounds funny. So, yep. Um, okay. I graduated. I graduated college with a bachelor's in elementary ed. Um, didn't get a teaching job right away, but um, was offered a position at the local community college um, doing adjunct instructor stuff. So it was just like teaching a class or two a semester, not like a full time faculty, but it's like part time instructors. Um, so, yeah, I was teaching at the local community college. I was teaching remedial English and their first year seminar course. So like how to study, how to manage your time, you know even emotional intelligence, financial stuff, like how to be a good college student. So it's the class every single student has to take, regardless of how old you are, anything, like every first year student has to take it. So right. at the time, Dustin was going back to school, working on an associate's degree, and he was in my class. Um, <laughs> and he tells the story a lot more fun because he talks about like when I walked in the room and he had the only empty seat left in the classroom. So he scoots over thinking I'm going to sit down next to him. And then I walk <laughs> up to the front of the classroom and get behind the podium and he is <laughs> like jaw drops. Um, so, and I mean, I was 23 right out of college teaching mm. at a college. So it was, mm. you know, and I already yeah. look like 10 to 15 years younger than I really am. So that like, I looked like I was 16 back in the day, mm -hmm. you know, teaching college. But um, so most people thought I was a, a student and not a teacher. Um, right. But yeah, you know, we, nothing happened while he was my student. I was very professional. I didn't even like have much of a, remember that he, he had perfect attendance other than when he was sick once. And he, he was, was always right in the front of the, yeah, and he was always right in the front of the class. And, <laughs> he always participated um you know he was one of the few who would actually talk and respond and like engage okay he, he was playing um, he was plotting from the beginning <laughs> exactly. oh, yes that, that was his plan for sure and he's like no I, I knew what i was doing from the beginning um, All right that's cute. so yeah it wasn't until um after the class ended uh, I think we connected on Facebook and we just started chatting. He, he asked me out once and I actually turned him down because I was like, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm like the new professional mm. girl. Like I want to be a professor someday. I can't date a student, you know, <laughs> like right, right. I don't know what the rules are and all that. Um, so I turned him down once. We keep chatting. We're friends. He asked me out again. And so I go to my boss who happens to be like a second mom. I grew up with her. Her daughter and I are good friends. So I'm like, you know, there's a boy. And I explained uh -huh. to her the situation. And she's like, if he's not your student anymore and he doesn't have the potential of being your student again, it's totally fine. No big deal. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right. So so we went out for coffee and and that was basically it. Yeah, we we knew pretty soon that it was we were done. So um, so at this yeah. point, so at this point in your life, though, you have went through your, your Christian heritage and whatnot. You were reshaping your philosophy and outlook on life. Mm -hmm. And you meet Dustin at school. Like, so did he yeah. was he on a similar journey? Was he already where you wanted to be? Yeah. I would say he was where I wanted to be. Like early on in our relationship, he was a big source of inspiration and um, wisdom and intelligence and just growth for me because he he was raised you know just like most of us in the midwest we're all raised christian you know it's based on your mm -hmm. location mostly where what religion you are so um but he was raised more open-minded and more like universalist he went to a unity church more of a an open-minded christianity and looking at like the christ within all rather than like the evangelical view of of like you know it's our way or the highway you're going to hell that sort of thing um mm -hmm at this point in his life, he had already had, you know, some spiritual awakenings and things of just like, you know, seeing the world for how it is and, and, you know, seeing the divinity within us all and connecting to that. So, so he really helped me kind of navigate that paradigm shift of like, like, this is what I've always believed of like the church and God and who all that is. And like, you know, but this is, this is what my inner truth is trying to tell me, you know, right. and having to mix those. Um, but uh yeah, so so in that early part of our relationship, he was really helping guide me and all that and mm -hmm. um, help me just make sense of it all. And and if any and more than anything, he helped reassure me that I was okay and that I'm still on the right path because I dealt right. with and still deal with a lot of shame and guilt of leaving the church and letting down mm -hmm. you know my loved ones and and all that. And so you know, he just gave me so much love and, and that self-acceptance of like, 
no, you're okay. Like you're not a bad person because you think this way, you know, you're not going to hell. You're not, you know, your yeah, parents yeah. can think what they're going to think, but you know, you've, you've got to do you and you're on the right path. Um, so yeah, he was uh, a sense of inspiration with that. And even he was the one who exposed me to some of the authors I'd mentioned and, mm-hmm. um, you know, recommended some books and that sort of thing. And I mean, that's how we fell in love. Like we fell in love just staying up all night, having like deep philosophical talks and deep spiritual talks and stuff. And, um, and mm-hmm. he, yeah, he really helped guide me in all that. Um, I feel like he still does. He's always kind yeah. of a a few steps ahead of me as far as like spirituality and enlightenment and like understanding how things work. Um, so he always has a lot of wisdom to share. Nice. Nice. That sounds, that sounds beautiful. And I think anybody hearing mm-hmm. that would um, kind of, I think that kind of leads me into my next question actually, which is if he's so, so wonderful and so, you know, so great <laughs> to you and God is you spiritually, how did you guys end up poly? Right. Right. Yeah, because the only way, you know, we'd be poly is if that person's not giving us what we want and need, right? Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, you know, that, yeah, that's funny. Um, So it really became an exploration for us both. You know, we, we were together for over 10 years before we even thought about opening up. So I do think that was a big part of it. You know, we had that firm foundation. Right. Yeah. We'd been through the stuff, you know, we'd been through family debacles and, you know, all the things, sicknesses, you know, drama, co-parenting stuff, like all the things. So we we knew like we're solid, like neither of us are going like it'd take an act of God or like one of us murdering someone else or something for like <laughs> us to leave each other at this point. Like, you know, like we're in this for the long haul. Um, so, yeah, it's like have I think having that firm foundation that neither of us are going anywhere gave us that security that we needed to be able to pursue more of a poly life and um, Mm -hmm. being able to know that we always have each other to come home to and that like that's not going anywhere and that that love's not going to change. I think that is what gives us the freedom and the confidence and yeah, again, that security to be able to, to open. So, um, so yeah, it really just started as, um, some play talk. Honestly, it was more of just like a fun thing of like, whether it was talks about like bringing a third in to play sometimes or, um, things like, uh, you know, just could you ever, or would you ever, or, um, yeah, or, or even just, getting to a point where we can comfortably talk about even crushes that we have on people, whether it's like a crush Mm -hmm. on a friend or just thinking someone's cute or something. Um, But uh, so yeah, it it started just as that fun talk. And then, um, you know, Dustin's always been good at expansion and kind of pushing my boundaries a little bit to help me expand. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as my sexuality goes, you know, growing up in the church, of course, it's just very shamed. And so there's just, there's so much, even, you know, being a 37 year old woman that is still just like ingrained in me from a kid regarding my sexuality and just not like feeling comfortable in my own skin and like, you know, still feeling like it's it's a sin or, you know, I shouldn't show off my body or I shouldn't, you know, tempt men and, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, God forgive, God forbid, you know, in high school, I worked strap tank top and like tempt all the boys around me um so so some of it too was like he he knew that was an area of my life I needed to explore my sexuality and my sensuality and he wanted to provide a safe space for me to do that and so whether that meant you know posting more like I don't want to say thirst trap pictures that sounds so bad but you know what I mean everybody and the attention and stuff, you know, whether it's like showing off my body more or going out dancing and he's cool with me dancing with other people or um, whatever. So, so a lot of it kind of stemmed from me just exploring my own sexuality and, um, mm-hmm. and in that came, you know, the talks of, you know, would you ever want to date someone else? How do you, how would you feel about that? Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't until, we had like a, a legit opportunity um, to uh, see someone. It was Vincent, actually, when we 
you know, I actually had a, an initial conversation with someone who was interested and wanted to know, you know, the status of my relationship that it was like, oh, wow, you know, this could actually happen. Like I, I could do this, you know, how, how could we make this work? Um, and yeah, it, it really just stemmed from a desire to let both just pursue our own desires and see whatever life had to offer us. Um, and um, wanting to be able to embrace any of those organic opportunities that come up and not feel held back or um, stifled or anything. Um, yeah. Guys, so did you guys have like a, a structure to it? This seems very, cause the way you describe it seems very open, very free flowing. Um, right, it sounds yeah, like you we, have very great communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had to talk a lot <laughs> and yeah. I, we still talk a lot. And I think yeah. that's like the number one key to making something like this work, I think, is that communication um, aspect and being able to express to your partner how you're feeling in the sense of like, whether it's your desires and something you want to experience or feelings you have for someone um, or maybe even something, you know, you just want to explore together. Um, but just to have that uh, open and honest conversation where you can be like the most vulnerable, like we can literally tell each other anything and we've created a safe space within our relationship to do that. And, um, but at the, in the beginning we did, we, we had rules, so to speak of just like, mm -hmm. like, you know, I don't want to just jump right into like, and going on all these dates and being on Tinder and like all the things, <laughs> um, you know, how can we kind of ease into it? And so, um, when we first opened up, we did kind of set some parameters, so to speak, of just like some physicians and, um, you know, just always communicating with each other because it's like mm -hmm. <clears throat> we, for me and Dustin, it's like, this is something that we explore and we've created that safe space to explore it. But, and this might make us a little different than, you know, what you would consider a typical poly couple. Like, it still comes down to us. And I think we are more in line with that idea of, like, having, like, a primary and a secondary and, and that sort of thing. Because, like, if Dustin were to come to me and say, look, I can't do this anymore and I don't want to be open. I want to go back to the monogamy and just focus. Like, I would be okay with that because it still comes back to us. So it's like we've created this space where we can explore and I think we'll always be open in the sense that like, again, we've created just this, uh, this safe space for us to talk and communicate in these sorts of ways and express these sorts of things. Um, and they be, you know, accepted and welcomed rather than shamed. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think um, it all just comes back to, our relationship and who we are as a couple. And if either of us wanted to stop pursuing this, like that would be okay. Um, yeah. I think I kind of went on a little tangent there. I don't remember no, I, what no, I, was. I was supposed to be talking about. <laughs> well, I get you. Um, but it did lead me to another question I wanted to ask was, how did you guys go about discovering um, the style of open relating or non-monogamy that you wanted to do? Because there's so many different ways of going about it, of being, you know, polyamorous, polyandrous, open relating, swinging. How did you determine what was really best for you? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of talks and just that exploration and self. So we, you know, we've always been an equal partner relationship. Like we've been very 50-50 on everything, like um, even with parenting, all the things. So we definitely like couldn't go into this and it'd be like just polyandry or just polygamy sort of thing. Um, I mean, I guess if he, if it was desired by the other person, like if he wanted multiple wives, but I didn't want any other men, you know, that would be different. But it's like, you know, whatever you can do, I can do sort of thing. That's how our relationship's always been. So, mm -hmm. so that was like, number one from the beginning was that it was like an even playing field, so to speak. And it's like, you know, we both have the freedom to explore and we both have the freedom to explore the same things. And like, here's our parameters for both of us. Um, and then exploring, I guess that level of those relationships, you know, do I feel like I could have, you know, someone who's equal to Dustin 
or mm-hmm. is there going to be like levels and like um, <laughs> that kind of even playing field, so to speak, and and what each of us wanted to explore because we didn't want to do, um, you know, having having to have the conversations to figure out our desires and what each of our de- each of us are desire our openness and, and our poly relationship. Um, because right. I think they can differ, um, you know, whether one yeah. person seeks more physical things, the other person seeks more emotional connections oh, or yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> right. So, so we, as a couple had to come together and kind of be like, okay, this is how we want to function as a couple. And these are kind of our parameters. And now within that, we both have the freedom to explore those differing desires. And sometimes our desires matched up. Other times there were different desires. So he had a space to, you know, explore those desires. I had a space, um, et cetera. Um, And uh, figuring out what it is we wanted out of our openness. No, it wasn't, it wasn't all about sex. I mean, of course, the physical part is an aspect of it. I don't think anyone in these sorts of relationships can say, you know, that physical part isn't part of it. But um, yeah. unless you have just that, you know, deep emotional thing and that's all you're looking for. But um, so, yes, of course, there's that um, emotional connection. So looking at. Um, oh, I know what I was going with here. So thinking about how it's not doesn't always have to be about the sexual stuff so in that sense like swinging wasn't what we were after you know because I consider that more like you find another couple you know you switch you have your fun and it it really is I feel more of a sexual sort of relationship and that sort of physical intimacy um and you know it, it was something more of like we really both wanted that freedom to explore our own things and in a safe way um yeah Right. Okay, that makes sense. So, so you guys were married for ten years before you started the uh, process of opening and whatnot. What was that first experience like with you, you know, being with another person? That can be a very rough yeah. thing, especially when you tell your husband, "All right, I'm going here. This may happen." Or, like, what? Right. What was that like? I, I've heard stories of people just really went through it in those <laughs> scenarios. Yeah, no, for sure. I I think so. I think um, Dustin could attest to that. That yeah, he really had some times those those first times that I went away, and then same for him um, when he would go out. And um, I think it's um, almost like a, a horror, but like a a welcomed horror. I guess <laughs> like it's definitely that. It's like, what am I doing? Am I really letting my, and letting, I even struggle with that word of like, I'm letting my partner do this. Like I'm letting my husband go on a date with someone else. Like as if I own him and he has to have my permission to do everything. Um, But yeah, part of it comes or brings up that sense of like, yeah, just that, that horror of like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Um, But then the expansion that comes after. And I think that's the thing that we notice is that it was always hard at the beginning, those first times of like the other one going out um, and having to just sit with all of that, whether it was like all the feelings coming up of, am I not enough? Why does he even want to do this? You know, what is, what else is he looking for? Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with Dustin, you know, you know, why, why does she want this? Is, is she going to love them more than she loves me? Vice versa. Um, mm-hmm. But those kind of allow those feelings to come up because I think it's natural. It's like, when those times come up, I feel like we're battling the social construct that we've all been raised under that tells us when this happens, we're not supposed to feel good. Mm-hmm. Like if my partner goes out with someone else, how in the world am I supposed to feel good? Everything in society, everything I've been taught my whole life tells me that I should be horrified and brokenhearted, you know, if my partner is going out um, with someone else. Um so some of it, I think, is just that innate kind of social construct that, that's coming up in those emotions and having to kind of sit with that of like, but wait, like, why am I feeling this way? Um, and is it because I'm feeling insecure and I'm worried, you know, he's going to, um, you know, am I not enough? You know, that, that's kind of the biggest thing that comes up most of the time for people is that like, like, why would they want this? Am I not enough? Um, yeah, and, you know, is, is, are they going to have more fun than what we, <laughs> how much fun we can have? And um, all the, the comparisons, the physical stuff, the emotional stuff, everything. Um, and uh, 
So I feel it's natural for that stuff to come up and we just have to look at why it comes up and really think about like, what is this telling me? Like this jealousy that's coming up. What is it telling me? Um, is it telling me like, Hey, maybe he and I need to go on a date sometime soon. Like maybe <laughs> I'm actually missing him a little bit and maybe like we need to plan a date night together mm -hmm. or, um, you know, maybe I'm not feeling like we've had that emotional connection recently. And so that's why I'm a little jealous, so to speak, that he's going out with someone else because I'm just desiring that connection. Um, and then then having to kind of shift that um, those perspectives that do come up, like if we are just looking as like, no, I'm not supposed to like this. I'm supposed to be horrified right now. Like, can we shift that over into can I be happy for my partner? Can I be excited for them? that they're going out and they're doing this. Um, can this whole act actually bring me joy and bring me pleasure? Um, the idea of them going out and just enjoying life. Can I feel happy for them? And, um, you know, some of that is the compersion that people talk about, somewhat that, that opposite of jealousy, that you're actually excited about your partner going out, you're excited for them, happy for them. Um, and so, yeah, I think as those feelings come up, you have to think about what it is they're trying to tell you that you need mm -hmm. to just kind of look at and, um, and and looking at it as an opportunity to kind of root back down into your truth of who you are and why you're there and like why you're pursuing yeah. any of this. <laughs> like, yeah. um, When did you yeah. first hear the word compersion? Because I know I didn't really hear that for until I was like 30. Three. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would say like in the last like three years, like I never heard the word until like he and I opened up and like it became a thing. I was like, oh, this is actually a word for this. Um, yeah. What's funny, I think I actually heard it one of the first times was through a friend of mine from my small town in Indiana, which like, yes, even in my small town in Indiana, there are poly folks. So like it really? is, yeah, like it is not, you know, that uncommon. And I think that's what's just so great about yeah. all of us you know, and so many more people getting out there talking about all this. Cause like, it's really not that uncommon when you get, right. when you really get down to it. Um, but yeah, I remember hearing one of them um, use the word before. Um, but, I, I don't think it's yeah. very uncommon, but I think a lot of people don't talk about it or frame it in, in this way of poly. I think they, right. I know in my household or my generation, um, if I listen to my aunts and uncles, they tell stories about things that were happening when they were younger like everybody was poly, they just didn't talk about it. You know, like everybody, right. my uncles or people have families across town, or you know, what I'm saying there was always uh -huh. something like that going on. Right, um, right. Mm -hmm. so I've always had kind of found that interesting. Right, that, uh, right. We just never really found a way to be open about that type of stuff. Before, right, you know? right. Yeah, definitely. And even with you know the infidelity rates that they are, and and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, and um. You know, I think a lot of people naturally can desire, you know, more than one person and have feelings for more than one person at a time. But we're just taught as a society that that's bad. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, instead of cheating on your spouse, have a conversation with them. See what you can work out. See how you can create a safe space to explore those mm -hmm. desires and stay together as a family um, without having to split all that apart. Um, right. So yeah. what was it like? um well, let me ask first, do you guys, how are you with interacting with your husbands or partners, like, or with like your partner's partners? Like, is that like a thing? Do you pretend, like, prefer to keep that stuff separate? Um, um, or was that like kind of wary for you to really like, what was that even like? <laughs> the, the idea. Right. I think it, it kind of depends on the partner, I think, and depends on just where we're at with things like Dustin's dated women who like we're still friends with. And, um, you know, so in, in that sense, like I was okay seeing them together, you know, there wasn't any mm -hmm. like weirdness or anything, but then he's also like just dated other women. Um, some I hadn't even ever met and like, that's fine too. Um, uh, but yeah, I, we don't really have any set rules or anything with that. Um, but it, it works out nice in the sense that most of the time we do all get along. Like, you mm. know, Vincent is over a lot for family dinners and stuff like that. Like we're all hanging out together. Like it, he and I would have our individual time, but then um, definitely still 
you know, hung out together as a family and as friends and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it just depends. I will admit that it's like, I, <laughs> I don't want to say I don't want to hear things cause I, I don't mind, but it's like, I, I'm a little more, um, hands off, I guess, or, um, yeah, I don't, I don't mind, or I don't care to not know. Like, it's not like <laughs> date other people. And like, I don't care if I just never even meet the woman, like, that's okay. Like, it's not like important to me that we have like some sort of big bond or anything like that. I no, mean, right. of course, if like things got serious and that sort of thing, like, sure, you know, that's different. And I think that's what's different with us. Cause it's like, we're not, you know, we're not on like dating sites, just dating random people. Normally the people we date are people we've, met organically oftentimes they're even people like within our friend group so there's that comfortability there um and there's mm-hmm. never like any awkwardness normally um okay. but so it like you have a community that you kind of um right. of, of people so right. mm-hmm. let me ask you this then because i think um a lot of reader or viewers or people listening will have a hard time with this one aspect which is how do you go about with letting these other people that you or your husband may be dating interact with your children? Yeah. Like, do you tell your children about this stuff? Or like, how do you keep it, keep them separate? Like what's your mode of operation? There? Right. Right. Um, we haven't, well, our, the son we have together, Cohen, he's eight now. So he's, he's young enough that like, he doesn't really understand right. all of details and everything so normally he just sees us all as friends um it's not often that like we're actually being physical or affectionate with um every now and then and such as we're we're affectionate with all our friends like we hug and kiss everybody (laughs) like not not in a romantic way but just in like you know we're just affectionate people when i tell you goodbye i'm gonna give you a hug and a kiss um (laughs) but so um but yeah we but we've never like hid it from them. Like, and, and I think Mm -hmm. as Cohen's getting older, you know, we've had those conversations already with him now about like how our relationships work and, and that sort of thing. And that, you know, mom and dad are married, but like we might date other people too. It's like, I might have a boyfriend or dad might have a girlfriend. Um, But uh, I think, I think it's important to not hide it from the kids because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us think that all of this is taboo and everything because of how we were raised. We were raised with it being taboo. So what happens when we have a whole new generation of children who were just raised with this being normal, (laughs) you know? So that's how like real change happens, right? That's how like real um, social change can happen and, and how Mm -hmm. things like this can become more mainstream and just more, just less stigmatized, um, to be able to see that it's more common. Um, so, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying like shove it in the kid's face by any means. I do think there's some tact and some good communication that has to happen. These kids, like you need to have that communication with your child. So they understand these other relationships you have, you know, before they see you being affectionate with another human, that's not their parent, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important that, um, that we do communicate with our kids about this. That's why, you know, we, we've been very open with Cohen, um, here recently now that he's getting older, um, just with how things work because it's, it's his generation that could be like the real change, you know, Um, because they just need to be raised with a different mindset. And if they're raised realizing, Oh wait, you can love two people at once. That is okay. Um, Mm -hmm. it is all right to, you know, have feelings for more than one person. Um, then yeah, I mean, that just, that creates such huge change. So it's kind of exciting. I'm like, I'm excited to see the adult that our kids all become, or the adults are going to become. Yeah, I just think it's like this generation that's just going to be like rock stars and just really have a whole different perspective on things than what we had as kids. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah. I know I, I know you may not know, I know Kenya very well. Um mm-hmm. She's the one who taught me about polyamory and got me into it and everything. And she has three children. Uh-huh. And I remember when I met her, I was like really confused. I never heard of Polly. Like uh, they had another woman living there with her and her husband and her uh-huh. kids were there. I was like, these kids are going to grow up crazy and messed up. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. And, um, you know, t- over 10 years later, their kids are like brilliant people who, and they're right. very different. 
you know, one is very monogamous, one is very open. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and they chose they they just, they just know that they had options for relationship styles, right. and they really chose the one that really worked for them. Right, right. Um, and it's really yeah. beautiful to see that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that. Um, because I think that's yeah that that's how we make these things more accepted. And that's how our kids will feel more accepted. You know, they're right. like, they are going to grow into adults who know they have that choice, you know, who right. know that, that there is a choice there and that it's not just monogamy and that that's right. the only right way or good way. Um, right. And if they yeah. want to be monogamous, they do that. Like, I think they'll be better at it because they're actually doing it because they know that's what they want to do. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you right, know? right. Right. And just the communication involved. Like I think, I think these kids will also probably be raised just a little more emotionally intelligent just because the work it takes to have a poly relationship, you know, you have to be a good communicator with your partner. You have to be emotionally intelligent. You have to be able to really look at your stuff and really deal with your stuff um, in order for this to really work. And I think that's been the biggest thing that Dustin and I have learned. Like it has just really made us look at ourselves and, um, love ourselves more and accept ourselves more and understand ourselves more. And so if we can instill those things in our kids, you know, we're going to raise really open-minded and emotionally intelligent kids because we're right, teaching right. them how to communicate and, you know, how to, um, how to relate in the, this way and, you know, an honorable and respectful way. Um, right. so yeah, exciting. It's exciting. That is, um, I've heard I'm uh, I want to ask one more question because um I like to keep these under an hour or so but um yeah I've heard you say emotional intelligence several times right mm-hmm. and personally I consider myself an emotional genius that's, I think that's where my genius lies uh-huh. um, it's one of the things that I take pride in you know I feel like I'm an Einstein in terms of my emotions mm-hmm. and how I do things. it doesn't mean I'm like perfect but uh-huh. I'm, I'm I'm really high up there in that regard. Uh-huh. And I feel like that's something that you have worked on and try to steal into your children and whatnot. How do you mm-hmm. do that? Like, how do you really guide somebody into a higher level of emotional intelligence? How do you apply, how do you apply it to your partnerships? Yeah, um, I think modeling it is number one. I mean kids learn through our behaviors anyway. Like they literally will mimic us. Like that's how the child brain develops in those early years. So I think part of it is just modeling that emotional intelligence where before, you know, maybe we were modeled by our parents, you know, breakdowns and frustrations and and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. So being able to model how to check in with your emotions, how to name your emotions, how to allow space for them, and how to manage them and not let, you know, those intense ones take over. Um, And I think being, being able to have those talks with your kids when they get heated and being able to approach them with calmness. And I think that's the hardest part as a parent probably is Mm -hmm. approaching those frustrated moments with calmness instead of just getting frustrated yourself. Um, But teaching our kids to be able to name what they're feeling, accept what they're feeling and feel what they're feeling. Cause I think a lot of emotional in unintelligence is not being able to sit with your emotions and not being able to really fully feel them. And then of course, you know, when you can't feel your emotions that leads to dis-ease in your body, which can lead to, you know, illness and ailments and all sorts of things. And so mm-hmm. if we are able to take the time to just sit with that feeling instead of brushing it away for whatever reason. Oh no, we don't have time for that right now. No, just get your shoes on. We're not going to cry right now. It's time to go, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of push that away. You know, that's, we're not going to be able to, to manage those emotions in the, in the real time. So I think, um, I think being able to help your kids name what they're feeling and give that space to sit with it. And then um, just being kind of self-aware, I think, and um, knowing 
how you think and even knowing like certain things that might trigger you. So um, I think part of that emotional intelligence is like knowing your triggers and recognizing them. And instead of like letting that trigger trigger you and make you explode, um, how can you uh, yeah, sit with that in, in kind of a calm way and kind of retrain your brain to react differently in that moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of talks and um, a lot of like, where do you feel that in your body? (laughs) And those sorts of conversations, (laughs) like, how are you feeling right now? Um, What do you need to do? What do you need right now? I think is uh, another good thing too, like getting kids to name how they're feeling and name what they need when they're feeling. Um, like, mm-hmm. like my son Cohen, he has no problem coming in and asking for a hug if he needs a hug or mm-hmm. um, even if like I've already tucked him in and he's like, he comes back and he's like, I just need a little more love, you know, and he just needs another extra hug. Um, or knowing that, you know, in that moment of frustration, he's like, I need to get outside and sit on the grass. That's really going to help me a lot. Um, and uh find what it is that helps you through those triggers. Um, and yeah, how to just not figure out what that emotion is that normally controls you and how to kind of rein that in so that it doesn't control you. Um, it almost sounds like, uh, I feel like some people will hear that and and it almost sounds like a pseudoscience. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) Like a a fake it till you make it sort of thing. (laughs) It wouldn't be mad right now, but like I completely understand what you're saying. It's just communication. Yeah. I think it all just really comes down to that communication with, with the emotional intelligence of like, um, and providing that safe space. You know, we all, I mean, there's countless stories of, kids not being able to express their true emotions because they're either afraid of their parents' reaction or they just know that feeling's not going to be accepted or their parents going to tell them to quit crying or to go to their room. Um, so I think being able to allow the space for all those emotions to come up and, and that's how we manage our openness, the jealousy. It's like you have to name that feeling when it's coming up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. coming from what caused it allow yourself to feel it and then decide what you're going to do with it you know are you going to stay or upset or are you going to you know work through that and focus on you know creating what it right um, right i feel a lot of people kind of get jealousy get jealous as a as a default like it's just like that's what they're programmed to think that they're supposed to do so that's what they do <laughs> right right yeah. And could that stem from all of our, like, lack of self-love? You know, if you fully, unconditionally love yourself, what do you have to be jealous of? Right, right, exactly. Exactly. Like, if you fully love and accept yourself, you have nothing to be jealous of. Um, So if you know that you're worthy and you're loved and your partner, you know, loves you and and all that, then, um, yeah, you you shouldn't have those feelings come up. But easier said than done, for sure. Well, Kim, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate um, you coming on and doing this with me and letting the world get to um, know you a little bit better. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Noble. This was really fun. I'm glad that um, we have this opportunity. And, yeah, thanks for letting me talk and ramble <laughs> about everything. Um, I love yeah, it. I feel like awesome. you're brilliant, really. And then one yeah. thing before I do I want to say is that um, – like I've seen your pictures, we haven't met in person yet, and uh, I'm just really surprised that you, that you're 37. Like you look like a lot younger. <laughs> I was like, what? I know, I get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, you it used to be annoying in like my 20s when I would still get carded for everything, but now that I'm approaching 40, I, I yeah, I'm like, no, this is nice. Please tell me that I look like I'm 20, please. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, right. <laughs> think, yeah, yeah, I get that a lot. I don't, I don't. It's hard to get taken seriously in the business world sometimes. But other than that, I understand. (laughs) Well, all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Noble Relating, the podcast of the new paradigm. Uh, Tune in next week for another Noble's Deep Dive. All right. Peace. Thanks, Noble. Bye.